Gracious Father, you are a good God and you speak to us such comforting words in this part of your word. So we ask, Father, that we would receive comfort. We ask, Father, that we would receive encouragement and that you would give us deep understanding from the words of your son here in John chapter 14. And we pray in his name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of feeling that you know someone and then realising that you didn't. Uh, you might have heard me mention lately in private conversation, we've been doing family tree research in our family just recently. Uh, amongst other things, we've gone through my grandparents' papers and we've talked about them and picked my parents' brains for more stories about them. Now, I knew all of my grandparents well. Three of them, uh, three of them lived until I was an adult. Uh, but I still have found out one or two things that make me realise I didn't know them as well as I thought. I won't tell you those right now. Now in John 14, the disciples are having their final evening with Jesus before his death. It's the night of the Last Supper. But even now, they don't know him as well as they should. In verse 8, the first verse that's printed for us, Philip asks Jesus, he says, show us the Father. Now have a look at Jesus' reply there in verse 9. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is something which Jesus had repeatedly taught them and shown them in miracles. Jesus is more than a prophet, more than a holy man, more than just an ambassador from the Father who could pull a photo out of his back pocket and say, look, this is what he looks like. Jesus is the image of the invisible God because he is God's son. So if you know Jesus, you do know the Father. Now here's a question. Are you surprised that Philip had known Jesus for so long and yet didn't know him. I mean, do you wonder how this could happen? It can happen, can't it? And it can happen to this very day. What about you? Could it happen to you? Uh, could it happen that someone could be with Jesus in the sense of coming to church for years and years and yet not know Jesus? Because, you see, it is possible to know Jesus as friend. Uh, there's an old story, probably true, though no one knows the source of it anymore, of an old preacher who was up in the pulpit going through the motions, and uh, this sort of a change came over him, this sort of brightness and this lifting in his demeanour came over him. The congregation noticed this, and they are wondering what was going on. One congregation member said to another, what, what's just happened? And they replied, I think the preacher just got converted. It's possible, you see, isn't it, to even to be claiming to be preaching the word and yet not know Jesus. But that day in that story, the penny dropped for that preacher. So I want to say, look, uh, if, if you have not known Jesus as friend to this time, is today perhaps the day that the penny will drop for you? I've had people say to me, Andrew, I thought I was a Christian, 
But I think I now realise I wasn't. It's exciting to hear those words because it means that a penny has dropped. It's normal for people to need to hear the gospel more than once before they will understand and believe. But it's certainly exciting to be there when the understanding happens. Well, hopefully Philip had a light bulb open for him that evening. But of course, Jesus was still speaking about going away. And the next thing that he deals with is how the disciples are to access Jesus' power when he has gone away. While he's been with them, of course, they could ask him. They could ask him to do miracles. Now, I can't think of a case where the disciples did ask for a miracle, uh, but perhaps they asked from time to time. The worst Jesus could have said was no. But how would they access Jesus' power when he's gone into heaven? Well, he answers that question quite straightforwardly in verses 13 and 14. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is why we always pray in Jesus' name or through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's because Jesus taught us to pray in his name. Jesus is the means of accessing the Father's unlimited power. Now, sometimes people read this and they think, well, it looks as though it's a promise that we'll just get whatever we want if we ask in Jesus' name. But the Bible teaches very clearly that unanswered prayer is a reality. Moses had unanswered prayer. Jesus himself prayed a prayer to which God said no in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Apostle Paul had unanswered prayer. We're taught to persevere in prayer, which means... I think that sometimes we won't get the answer we want, at least not straight away. So this passage isn't a magic formula to get your prayer answered every time, just if you say in Jesus' name. I think the emphasis in this passage is the fact that when Jesus has gone into heaven, his disciples will still be able to access his power by praying in his name. And so as Christians, when we pray, we should feel motivated by the fact that we are calling on the one who is all-powerful and who loves us and who has our best interests at heart. And let's not forget all those times when our prayers were answered. And let's not forget to give thanks to God and give him the glory for it because, as it says here, it's so that the Father may be glorified that we will pray and be answered in Jesus' name. Uh, Jesus will make the point it's actually a good thing for his disciples that he's going to be going into heaven and ruling from there. And he gives another reason for this in the next section of the, of the passage, verses 15 to 21, uh, and this is my point two, if you're following on my outline. When Jesus leaves, remember he's going to leave via the cross, the resurrection and his ascension into heaven. When Jesus leaves, the advocate will come. Verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Jesus will send his spirit to be with his disciples and one of the things the Spirit will do for us is he'll be an advocate. 
What is an advocate? Well, when we think of an advocate, we usually think of someone who is speaking on our behalf when we need help. I guess the prime example is your lawyer or your barrister in court. I hope no one's ever sued you. It's quite a stressful experience, I understand. Uh, and you need somebody to be able to speak on your behalf, negotiate the language and the jargon of the intimidating setting that a court is. Perhaps if you're an older person and they're trying to push you around, you need an advocate who will stand up and speak for your interests. I'm not there just talking about in court, but just in life and in negotiating all the, the things that we have to get done in life. Perhaps you'll need an advocate. At the other end of life, at the beginning, uh, when people are unborn, they need an advocate. Uh, when we were unborn, uh, we couldn't speak to defend our own interests. And so if our life were threatened, somebody would need to advocate for us. And so many Christians who have spoken out against the ending of unborn life, they would say they're being an advocate for the unborn. It's a wonderful thing to have an advocate. Uh, I was actually in a, a court once to support a person, not as their advocate, but just as the pastor. And to see their, their advocate, their representative speaking on their behalf, I could just see what a good thing it was to have somebody who would be speaking in their interests. It gives you encouragement, it gives you confidence that there's somebody speaking on your behalf. Another word for advocate is paraclete, which comes from the Greek word that's used here. And it means someone who's called alongside me. Someone who is by my side in a pressure situation. And the verbal form of that Greek word also means to encourage. That is what the Holy Spirit does for Christians. He's with us, he's by our side, and he supernaturally speaks on our behalf to defend us and to make the gospel go forward. Now, uh, you probably have noticed, uh, I'm sure you've noticed, it can be quite difficult for Christians at the moment. Uh, it's, it's not easy out there. Uh, there are, there's opposition. Uh, and it's not a time in history where there are masses of people who are coming to Christ. Do we need an advocate? Too right. Too right we do. So as Jesus is about to leave his disciples and via the cross and the resurrection, to go into heaven. He promises them. Now, have a look at these words, because these are the words which I really picked out today. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm sure Jesus must have spoken those words with some emphasis. He will not leave his children as orphans. He promises here that he will send his Holy Spirit as advocate, and he's done that. God's spirit is with us. We actually say those words every week in the 9.30 service. God's spirit is with his church. Now, you might be asking the question, well, hang on, I thought that everybody had God's spirit, not just the church. But no, that's not the case. Uh, the spirit is only with those who are believers, 
There are many benefits which come to all people. All people are made in God's image. All are loved by him. Uh, The famous verse 316 says, God so loved the world, which is everyone, including those who are opposed to him. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But it's only believers who have the spirit. And so as Jesus preaches here to his disciples, they're seeing that there's this divide opening up between the disciples and the world. And you can see that the disciples are are perplexed and they're sad and they're troubled as they see this divide. Have a look at verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Because Judas is picking up on the fact that Jesus has given an ultimatum to the world. He's told the Pharisees, look, you're blowing your chance here. You're not going to see me anymore. Only the disciples will see Jesus by the Spirit. And, and Judas here is sad for the world that, that they're missing out while the disciples receive this amazing gift. Now, I think you and I feel a similar way, don't we? That there's no pleasure at all in thinking about those who miss out on the Spirit. But it is clearly the way it is, and Jesus explains it in verse 17. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Jesus says in this passage, he says it twice actually, in verse 15 and in verse 23, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Have you heard of the idea of a love language? Someone wrote a book uh, about this years ago, the idea that different people have different ways of showing love and different things which they value as an expression of someone else's love for them. So some people prefer hugs to kisses. Some people would really like to be taken out for a birthday dinner by 20 of their best friends, but they really don't care whether they get presents or not. Others really value presents. Some people would prefer a a week of genuine kindness to a single grand gesture. Actually, probably most people would prefer that. It's a good idea to know the love languages of the people in our lives. Otherwise, you won't know how to show that you love them. What about Jesus? What's his love language? How would we show that we love him? Well, he tells us right here, doesn't he? He says to keep his commands. Now, we're sort of tempted to turn our nose up at that and think, oh, I don't really want to keep his commands. Can't I just give him a great big hug and say, oh, Jesus, I love you. But no, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That means that I've got a settled intention to do according to Jesus' will, as revealed in the Bible. It's it's understood that I will fail from, from time to time and there's forgiveness, but my settled intention in my life is to obey Jesus' commands. That's what the Christian life is. Now, hopefully that's challenging for us. It's challenging for me. But it also explains why not everyone has the Spirit. 
Not everybody wants to keep Jesus' commands, do they? People would rather not bring their life under Jesus' authority. Because when you do that, you're handing your control of your life over to him. Uh, whereas otherwise, if, if you haven't done that, uh, you can still be a nice person as and when you choose. But you've got the luxury of being able to be a little bit naughty or a bit mean or a bit foul-mouthed or whatever it is when you want to. When we're a Christian, we brought our lives under Jesus' authority and we know it's the best way to live. We'd never want to go back. But you and I still understand why people don't want to love Jesus and obey him, don't we? Because we know what it's like to want control of our lives and not want to hand it over to him. And so there's why not everyone has the Holy Spirit. Because they don't want to obey Jesus. But the wonderful news, and so many of these verses are just verses to, to pause over. The one who loves me, Jesus says, will be loved by my Father. Now what about that for a promise? The one who loves me and obeys my commands will be loved by my Father. Now the very good news is that this division that is opened up between Jesus' disciples and the world uh, is a porous division, right? God loved the whole world and gave his son for our sins. That means that people can cross over from death to life. Until we die, that's when it becomes too late, but until we die, it's never too late to hand control of my life over to Jesus. But meanwhile, when, we, when we're followers of Jesus as, as Christians, we are without Jesus' physical presence in the world until he returns. And it isn't easy, is it? I mean, it's tough out there. Uh, with the weight of responsibilities that we have in our lives, it's tough. Uh, with our own anxiety or illness, it's tough. Uh, with our own sin and temptation, uh, with the call of just escapism and spiritual apathy, with the world's opposition to the Christian message, it's, it's tough for all these reasons. And so in these circumstances, I want to draw out for you three just very quick points in closing of the real comfort that we get from Jesus' Holy Spirit who's been given to us. First, verse 26. Uh, the Holy Spirit will teach us and remind us of what Jesus taught. Uh, this is particularly of the scriptures. Right? So the, the apostles wrote down the scriptures because the Holy Spirit reminded them of Jesus' teaching. Our faith is fed by the scriptures because the Spirit uses the scriptures to remind us of Jesus' teaching. So if we want to access the power of the Holy Spirit, we read the scriptures. Second, verse 27, peace I leave with you, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Now, I can only just say, wow. The Jesus' own peace, he is the God of peace and he leaves his peace with his disciples. Third of all, verse 28, 
uh, we disciples, we can actually be glad that Jesus has gone to the Father because the Father is greater than Jesus, he says. Now, I've said already how amazing it must have been for the disciples to be with Jesus in person, but the truth is, it's even better for us. Our experience of God is so real through the Holy Spirit that it is better for us to live as spirit people as we wait for Jesus to return. Jesus said he would not leave us as orphans, that he would come to us. And he has. He has sent his spirit to help us and be our advocate. Isn't it encouraging to know that his spirit is with us? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and praise for the gift of your spirit to all uh, who love Jesus. Father, please uh, stir your spirit in us. Father, please help us to obey Jesus' commands. And uh, we thank you for this wonderful promise of your peace. And we do ask, Father, please, that by your spirit, your peace would rule in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.